Hello and welcome to the Earthside Echo, your source for all the latest dispatches from Earthside. Tonight's program brings us to the Empire of Abyssinia, one of the most technologically advanced nations on Earth. But even in Abyssinia, the Guild has a presence, and their loyalties are far from certain. I hope you enjoy part one of Zarezki's Legion. It will take too long. Prince Anathi Zarezki pounded his fist on the table to emphasize his point, making the miniature representations of troops, constructs, and fortifications arrayed across it jump. Several of the general staff standing around the map jumped too, and Unathi mentally noted the various reactions. Some let their thoughts drift during the briefing and were shocked into alertness, but others were clearly distracted by private concerns. He needed them focused and engaged with the problem at hand. For now, at least, he held their full attention. Your Highness, the white-haired colonel began, and then scowled. Sir, the fort is protected by a magical ward. We have no way of knowing how long it will take the artillery to break it down. It would be foolish to send troops into an impenetrable barrier and be at the mercy of the enemy's machine guns. Prudence and doctrine dictate that we continue shelling until the shield is breached. Doctrine? Doctrine is that which came before, Colonel. Anathi looked around the room. We are not an empire of doctrine. We are an empire of innovation. It is new ideas that will solve this problem, not old ones. I can't go with the colonel, sir. Another advisor continued, resting his weathered hands on the table. There is no need for the loss of life from an assault. The fort has no guns that reach our artillery, and our casualties will be minimal. Eventually, their protection will fail, and they will surely surrender. Anathi cut him off. The second army will be here in two days. If they are forced to deploy just to deal with this obstruction, we will lose a week or more. And by the time they arrive in Carthage, the Barbary League will be fully mobilized to its defense. Then we have another long siege like Dern. A few of the older heads gravely nodded. Anathi had not been at Dern. Truth be told, this was his first deployment as a commander instead of an advisor. But horror stories from that months-long grinding engagement in the Libyan desert had been all anyone had talked about during his last year at the academy. Anathi rubbed the bridge of his nose. I'm not advocating for throwing our troops needlessly against the barrier. I am not a fool. I think that... With sufficient distraction, I can take the barrier down. The colonel immediately began to argue with him about the risk, but Anafi ignored the man. His eyes were instead drawn to the woman casually standing at the far corner of the command tent. She tried to blend into the background, but failed. Her plain civilian clothes and pale European features made her distinctly separate from the press of Abyssinian military personnel, and the stylized brass ram's head she wore as a badge of office was a constant reminder of her status as an outsider. It made Anathi uneasy to openly discuss their military manoeuvres in front of her, 
but the Guild has insisted on the presence of diplomatic observers throughout the command structure of Abyssinia's Maghreb campaign. Nominally, she was here to ensure that the Guild's interests and properties in the region remained neutral, in accordance with their long-standing agreement of non-interference. She noticed him watching her and smiled, but he couldn't tell if her expression was cordial or mocking. Anathi's attention diverted with a tug at his sleeve. A girl. She couldn't have been more than fifteen, lanky and awkward in her ill-fitting messenger's livery, gave a perfunctory salute and handed him a note. He glanced at it, crumpled it, and nodded at the runner. She grinned, saluted again, and vanished into the crowd. The argument reached the point where conflicting military wisdom began to give way to personal insults. Anathi allowed himself an indulgent smile. The timing couldn't have been better. A new commander, fresh from the academy, was always a tricky prospect for an established staff. Their experience was immensely valuable to him, but to avoid a power struggle, he could not afford to let them dictate his strategy. It was time to remind them who was in command. With the greatest respect, he began, his decisive tone easily cut through the clamour. Thank you for all your input on this matter. I apologise, but a good friend of mine has just arrived, and I wish to seek his counsel. I will keep your advice in mind as I make my decision, and you will receive your orders before dawn. Take what rest you can. Dismissed. Maintaining a stony expression, he basked in the heated glares and muttered curses. Only one voice dared question him, the colonel. Sir, you cannot make command decisions on the advice of itinerant friends. Who is this person that you entrust our lives to? Anathi raised a hand for silence. Yokowo Yemo. He gestured toward the entrance. All heads turned as an enormous figure entered ducking low to avoid bringing the tent down around them. The man's body was covered in layered armour plates, each facet polished to a meticulous shine. An ornate battle helmet was tucked under one powerful arm. He swept a dark, calculating gaze across the crowd. But most of you, Anathi continued, will know him as the Lord of Steel, our most decorated warrior. Please give us the room. The Lord of Steel held a statuesque pose as each member of staff filed out of the tent. He met each person's gaze as they craned their necks up at him. When the Lord of Steel and Prince Unathi were finally alone, he snorted. I see you have not lost your love of theatre. Unathi grinned. You played your part well. The faintest hint of satisfaction showed in Yemo's face. They will not love you for supplanting their counsel with mine. Are you sure this is wise? If we win this battle tomorrow, they will understand. Besides, there is more at stake here than I can afford to tell them. Yemo nodded without a hint of surprise. I assumed as much. What can you afford to tell me? The shield that protects the fort. It has weathered our bombardment for seven hours without any sign of weakening. No mage or cabal could be so unwavering. It must be projected from a machine, but the League does not possess the understanding or the craft to build such a device. I've been developing an almost identical shield protector, 
but small enough to be carried by a man. This. He patted an unobtrusive filigreed box attached to his belt. And that. He pointed in the direction of the fort. Are products of the same Abyssinian science. You suspect a traitor? Anathi shook his head. Our devices and our technologists are too carefully monitored to go missing, but we have traded some of these secrets with others in the past. In particular, the guild. Yemo's face somehow became even grimmer. If they are aiding our enemies, that would be dire news indeed. Have you any proof? If such proof exists, I suspect we will find it within that fort, assuming, Unathi pointedly said, that we do not give them sufficient opportunity to destroy it and that our guns do not pulverize the entire structure. They believe themselves secure. They may even be sending for reinforcements or magical aid. If we can take them before they can clean their house, there might be many interesting secrets to be found. I have some ideas, but I'll need a great general, he gestured beseechingly, to lead the assault into the fortress before any evidence can be destroyed. The huge man chuckled, a sound that rumbled deep within his armoured chest. I have some ideas. But your tiny map is useless, your highness. I will need a good look at the battlefield and the surrounding areas first. Anathi huddled in the shelter of a rock outcrop, trying not to let the cold seep into his bones. Around him, the faces of his soldiers looked drawn and tired in the soft pre-dawn light. None of them had been able to get much sleep. Under the cover of darkness, they advanced to a forward observation position. The Abyssinian guns maintained their bombardment throughout the night, ensuring that the fort's defenders remained shrouded in a thick haze of smoke and were unable to send out patrols. With the deafening booms of exploding shells, each impact sent a sizzle of coruscating energy that washed across the surface of the fort's magical shield, which still refused to show any sign of weakening. Anathi shook his head. The quality of soulstones required to run a device of that calibre for this amount of time, he knew the guild had to be involved. The troops around him were a cadre of Abyssinia's finest soldiers, the Mehal Seferi. These troops, fully adorned in their ceremonial armour, were always prepared to lay down their lives to protect the Abyssinian command structure. Given Unathi's mission, he needed them today. He only hoped that his plan did not lead to too many of their deaths. As dawn broke over the mountains, washing the walls of the fort in a pale pink glow, the guns fell silent. The smoke cleared against a chill wind, and Unathi saw figures moving on the battlements. He wondered what they might be thinking in the sudden quiet. Perhaps they hoped that, given the apparent impenetrability of their shield, the Abyssinians had given up. Unathi gave the signal to his radio operator, who began speaking coded phrases into the device's mouthpiece. In the distance, he could just barely see the Lord of Steel, concealed behind a hillock. He had taken a squad of Steel Legion, members of the military elite, with him. Through the sifting smoke, Anathi barely made out the massive plated limbs of their heavy battle armour. Towering above the troops, 
a cutter peaked like a mountaintop through a breaking thunderstorm. The prince knew its specially cast blades were Abyssinia's best hope in securing the information that lay inside the fortress. With the Lord of Steel marching around to the other side of the fortress with his small force, Prince Anathi stepped out onto the battlefield, surrounded by six of his Mehal Seferi bodyguards. They were heavily armed, but the prince only wore his armour. In his hand, he held aloft a black flag as a signal that he wanted to parley with the defenders. Prince Unafi looked back at his troops lined up on the top of the hill, just outside of the fortress's gun range. The show of force was important to ensuring this meeting went just as he intended. For now, he slowly strode between his company and the impenetrable fortress. He kept walking closer to the enemy and further from his troops. He needed them confident. The great doors of the fort swung open, and its defenders poured forth. Unathi breathed a sigh of relief. The unruly League militants were little more than a mob filled with mercenaries, farmers, and salt miners. Their garb was without uniformity, and there was no discipline among them. As expected, they came out with far more manpower than was reasonable. Some rode horses, which Unathi took to be a signifier of rank, there was a man near their centre who seemed to be in charge, barking orders in an attempt to maintain some semblance of organisation. It was clear by their frequent glances toward the distant hills that Unathi's army terrified them, though they appeared oblivious to the terrible mistake they were about to make. These people are not warriors, the Lord of Steel's voice echoed in Unathi's head. Their ancestors were pirates and brigands, and they will not behave like warriors. It is not glory they seek. Their decisions will be driven by fear and bloodlust. Use it against them. The enemy force, more than fifty men and women, quickly gathered to surround the prince and his six Mehal Seferi. They stepped in closer to intimidate Unathi and his bodyguards, doing their collective best to stay in unison with one another, with each step. With unfaltering resolve, Unathi fingered the small box on his hip and rested the pole of the flag against his other shoulder. This was going to get messy. Commander, Unathi started, looking at the man he believed to be in charge. Thank you for agreeing to speak with me. His counterpart smiled, obviously pleased to be addressed so respectfully by a high-ranking Abyssinian officer. Your guns have no effect. You cannot breach our walls. The only terms for you are that of surrender. Unathi nodded as the man finished speaking. Your defences are impressive, but the power required to maintain them is great. My people understand the stones. Yours do not. I assure you, it's only a matter of time before the barrier slips. Perhaps we can come to an agreeable outcome. If you abandon your fortress now, you and your men will be welcome to live on for the rest of your days somewhere far from here. Otherwise... The enemy commander laughed, interrupting the prince. Or I could just melt you and your goons into a puddle before you have a chance to react. Prince Anathi stared at the man in silence for a stretch of time. The silence, after hours of bombardment, was off-putting, and many soldiers uncomfortably shifted on their feet. Finally, Unathi spoke. I take no pride in slaughter, Commander, but I do have pride in my people and my country. There is nothing I won't do 
for the betterment of Abyssinia. Unathi planted the flagpole into the soft dirt in front of him, and then continued, I offer you one last chance to surrender before we cut you down like cattle. The enemy commander was clearly taken aback. How dare you? Do you... He stopped suddenly as Prince Unathi raised a small, odd gun. Every enemy soldier drew their weapon and pointed them directly at him, but he continued to raise his weapon until it was pointed straight up in the air. Without hesitation, he pulled the trigger, shooting a flare up into the morning sky. Every face turned skyward, watching the red light clash against the pink of the sky. Every face, except the Abyssinians. The Mehul Seferi took a huddled step toward Unathi, and the prince flipped the switch on his own barrier device. It is better work, he mumbled under his breath. Field tests were always the worst. As the flare reached its apex, the sky cracked with lightning. Bolts flew wildly, crashing against the ground in violent booms. The lightning storm was so intense that many soldiers clutched their eyes in agony, barely able to register what was happening around them. The smoke from the lightning quickly cleared, while the smell of crisp ozone remained. Abyssinian warriors appeared in the blackened spots where the lightning had struck. Feathered fetishes were pinned to their armour, fluttering proudly in the swirling air that had been disturbed by their sudden arrival. At the end of each arm, they wielded long, bladed claws that arced and sizzled with electricity. It was always a joy to see the Abyssinian military in action, and the electrocutioners held a special place in Unathi's heart. They were the most experimental unit in the army, and they were constantly training with cutting-edge technology, the sort of technology that allowed them to make this surprise appearance on the battlefield. The electrocutioners sprang into action, cutting down swathes of enemies in electricity-fueled carnage. They moved quickly and efficiently through the blinded Barbary League soldiers, killing them in an instant. As the electrocutioners continued their onslaught, Unathi's shield kicked in, surrounding him and his Mehul Seferi in a translucent blue bubble. The enemy commander howled in rage. Kill them! Kill all of them! Gunfire finally rang out from the League's soldiers. Most of it was directed at Unathi, but it wasn't enough to penetrate his small shield. The bullet sizzled against the barrier, and he smiled, relieved that the barrier worked, and continued to hold against the barrage. The commander's eyes went wide. Retreat! Fall back! He reared his horse and sped toward the fort and its barrier. Pockets of gunfire still rang out from the enemy troops that did not fall back, but they were quickly silenced by the electrocutioners. Scores of charred bodies lay around Unathi, and he stood to watch the retreating soldiers. The electrocutioners formed into ranks near him. Four dead, sir. One in translocation. Unathi nodded. There were always casualties, but knowing that didn't make the news any easier to digest. Yemo's advice seemed cold and calculating, but his words were seared into Inathi's mind. A battle is a transaction. The lives of our soldiers are the currency we spend to ensure victory. This is the price. It cannot be argued or bargained. It must simply be paid. The Abyssinian company had begun marching down the hill in a slow, orderly fashion. They wanted the fortress to feel safe enough to let down their force field to allow their leader re-entry. In those few moments, with all eyes turned toward Unathi and his army, the Lord of Steel would also slip inside. The plan was proceeding perfectly, 
The barrier dropped and then flickered back up. Unathi smiled as he gave the order for the shelling to continue. Slow, languid shots began to hit the barrier again, keeping attention on the Abyssinian company that stood in the field below. As his company surrounded him, he was given back all the weapons he'd soon need, including his trusted rocket-propelled grenade launcher. Hefting the weapon, Unathi waited. The legionnaires surged forward. The lightning-scorched earth surrounding the fort provided easier passage than the hills that they had marched through. Yokoo ran with them, easily keeping pace. They had mere moments before someone from the opposing force spotted the large cutter making its way toward the fort. The rear gate was an imposing structure that had likely stood for a century or more. A great stone archway surrounded a heavy door of blackwood bound in iron. The cutter methodically stripped it of its bands with steel claws and hydraulic limbs, which bent the ancient metal like clay. The wood itself could normally resist a great deal of force, but it fell away under the attentions of the cutter's saw blades. A league soldier's head appeared by one of the crenellations, but he was no match for Yokoo. In the blink of an eye, the Lord of Steel flipped on his jetpack, rose into the sky, raised his spear, and drove it through the man's throat before he could cry out. Using the spear as leverage, the Lord of Steel landed on the parapet in a burst of wind, surveying the fort. All eyes were on the returning commander. With a final stretched creak, the door gave way between the cutter's blades, and in its place was a twisted hole large enough to admit an armoured soldier. It looked as though a great hand punched through the door and wrenched out its heart. Yokoo nodded to himself and signalled to his legionnaires to advance. The cutter would find its way through soon enough. The squad entered cautiously, and Yokoo watched them work. The team had been together for a long time, suffering only limited casualties over the years. Their captain was named Ushembe, and she led them without hesitation. She gestured for the legionnaires to secure the bailey and dismantle the nearby machine guns, and then turned to the Lord of Steel above her. "'You may proceed,' he said. "'Prepare for it to be lightly defended. We will stop any pursuers.' As one, the legionnaires nodded and ran off to enter the heart of the fortress. If the numerous past battles were any indication, Yokoo was confident in their success. He spared a moment to glance back at the cutter as it dismantled stone. It was already nearly through the wall. The grinding noise it made was as loud as the sparks from its saws were bright, and the sound of the bombardment was no longer enough to drown it out. Yokoo heard the cries of League soldiers funneling his way. The prince was coming. He just needed a distraction to arrive safely. Hefting his spear, the Lord of Steel took to the sky and let out a mighty war cry. The metal mast strapped to his face magnified his shout across the fortress, lifting loose debris and scattering it with his voice alone. With a massive blast of wind, Yokoo raced toward the far machine gun emplacements. The air around Yokoo bent and swayed around his jetpack as he charged downward. The League's machine gunners physically froze in fear, their fingers trembling. Despite being filled to the teeth with ammunition, they could not begin to understand how to face the Lord of Steel. The moment of trepidation was enough for Yokoo to safely close the gap, and once the gunners finally began to shoot, the small arms fire that landed ended up being no match for his armour. The Lord of Steel pulled the soldiers out from their seats one by one and pierced their chests with his spear. As he cut them down, 
He knew that their deaths were only feeding his suit's power. If he had to, Yokoo could keep this up all day. Another jetpack-powered leap took him down to the courtyard behind the enemy commander. Still astride his horse, he stayed distracted while drilling the next wave of soldiers. As he turned to face what sounded like an uncontrollable train moving behind him, the commander fumbled to separate his sword from its sheath in a blustering panic. Yokoo hovered behind the commander and snatched him from his saddle, planted a massive armoured fist into his side and launched him toward a fortress wall. Yokoo could almost hear the sound of the commander's ribs breaking over the gunfire. The horse panicked, reared on its hind legs, and then stormed deeper into the fortress. More gunfire rang out, but Yokoo's location in the middle of the enemy forces, coupled with his armour, made him a difficult target for the barely trained soldiers in the courtyard. Assisted by his jetpack, he moved too fast for them to easily keep up. Darting between plumes of gunsmoke and fortress pillars to pounce on his targets, the Lord of Steel demonstrated what it meant to be a champion of war. As the gunfire settled, the Lord of Steel turned to address the legionnaires who had contributed to what was shaping up to be a very decisive victory. Taking off his mask and palming it in his hand, he began to congratulate them on a job well done. As he mouthed the words, however, he caught a glimpse of something distressful above them, and his face paled. The Lord of Steel clasped the mask back to his face and flipped the switch of his jetpack, gliding backwards toward Ashembe and her men. He slid behind cover as soon as he was able, and without having to tell them to do the same, the legionnaires followed suit, hiding behind toppled stone pillars. A slow trail of greenish-black smoke and bluish flames billowed into the courtyard from overhead. The fire splashed against the stone pillars of the courtyard like acid, hissing and spreading as it made contact with their thick columns. Fall back, the Lord of Steel proclaimed, his voice forcibly echoing outward enough to stir the flames, but not enough to dwindle its growth. The fire grew at a baffling rate, engulfing all that it made contact with, until it had circled the legionnaires and filled the courtyard. The heat was far greater than anything Yokoo had ever experienced. Moving quickly, the flames spread as if driven by an alien mind. They grew without fuel and climbed their way up the stone pillars around them. As he watched, Yokoo realised that the fires were not born from some unfamiliar chemical warfare. They had been summoned by magic. It only took a frantic moment of searching to find their source. Atop a distant parapet smirked a lanky mage covered in loose robes. He watched the blue-tinged fire in admiration like each lashing whip was his child. His hands circled in front of him, and his children obeyed. The mage then raised his hands above his head, and the flames doubled in size and intensity. As the flames crept closer, the cutter finally broke through the rear entrance of the fortress. An explosion of stone and dust emptied out into the square as its sores came to a grinding halt. Sweat poured down the Lord of Steel's forehead as he took stock of his options. He could activate his jetpack and take to the sky, but doing so would doom the Steel Legion to the flames. It was a price he was not yet willing to pay. Without time to explain his hastily cobbled-together plan, Yukoo pressed the switch of his jetpack and flew backwards through the flames, his skin blistering from even that short amount of contact. As he reached the towering cutter, he switched his jetpack off and came to a skidding halt next to its armoured legs. Pilot! 
The Lord of Steel looked up to the legionnaire operating the cutter and jabbed a finger toward the flames. Into the flames! Knock down one of those pillars and create a bridge for your fellow legionnaires! It was a suicide mission, and both Yokoo and the pilot knew it. The exposed cockpit of the cutter was armoured but unenclosed, and spending any sort of time amidst the unnatural flames was sure to lead to painful and unpleasant death. A steely, resigned look flickered across the pilot's face as he tugged on the cutter's controls and sent it stampeding into the major's flames. The cutter's large strides carried it quickly through the first ring of hungry flames and into the heart of the beleaguered legion. The strange fire clung to its chassis, turning the metal bright as the screws holding it together began to spark and melt. The legionnaires, accustomed to fighting alongside such machines, deftly darted aside to allow the huge machine to pass. With a roar of defiance, the cutter's pilot jammed his controls forward and one to the side, twisting the battle titan so that its arm and shoulder slammed into one of the great pillars with all of its strength and momentum. The pillar cracked and tilted from the force of the impact, but it had been sturdily built and refused to yield. For a moment, it seemed as if the plan had failed. Then, like a speeding locomotive, the Lord of Steel roared out of the flames and soared over the heads of his troops, the flames clinging to his armour twisting in the windstream of his jetpack. He collided with the stone pillar with his shoulder, sending a spiderweb of cracks lancing through the pillar as it finally snapped off at the base and tumbled forward. The ground trembled as it collapsed, kicking up dirt and dust and blowing the flames and smoke backwards. Ushembe wasted no time in taking advantage of the opening. Steel Legion! Charge! Like a throng of glistening steel insects, the legionnaires stormed forward, hurdled over the collapsed steaming wreckage of the cutter and raced down the length of the collapsed pillar. The last two soldiers stopped midway across to help the Lord of Steel to his feet before the spreading flames could reach him, pulling him up just in time. As he staggered forward and tried to regain his breath, Yokoo looked back toward the parapet. Take the mage down, he shouted, his voice booming through the courtyard. The mage's eyes widened, though whether it was at the announcement or the Abyssinian's escape, none could tell. With a concerned glance back over his shoulder, the mage disappeared back into the fortress, heading toward the remaining League forces. The Steel Legion made short work of the entrenched troops. Their superior firepower was more than sufficient, and the scavenged weapons of the League were not a significant threat to the Legionnaires. A small group of League soldiers, including the Mage, surrendered when their defeat became obvious and were taken into custody. The Legionnaires escorted them to the cells below the fortress, imprisoning them there until they could be transferred elsewhere. Once the fortress was secure, Ushembe began splitting her troops into smaller groups, each with orders to find the source of the barrier and shut it down. Within minutes, the machine had been located. To Ushembe's eyes, it was a poor copy of Abyssinian technology. There was no elegance to its design, and its construction had simply forced additional soulstones into its power core to overcompensate for its technical deficiencies. Still, she had to admit, it had managed to protect the fort against a great deal of artillery fire. As the legionnaires ripped the soulstones from the machine, a loud sizzling sound emanated from the barrier surrounding the fortress. Gradually, 
the force field faded from sight until the only thing protecting the fort was its archaic stone walls. Almost immediately, electricity arced overhead as electrocutioners entered the fort, landing directly in the middle of the courtyard. They were followed a short time later by Prince Anathi on foot. As Ushembe returned from the heart of the fortress, soul stones in hand, the Lord of Steel allowed himself a tired smile. We did it, he said. We did, Ushembe repeated with a sombre tone. Prince Unathi didn't reply, but his delighted face said it all. That's it for another episode of the Earthside Echo. Join us next time for the conclusion of Zerezky's Legion.